Well, hello everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning and those of you joining us online to our baptism families. If I've not met you yet, my name is Jay, one of the pastors here. And we are in the middle of a teaching series looking at phrases that we say to one another as Christians uh, that may not entirely be true. These are simple phrases. Uh, they sound Christian. They sound as if that we could fa- find in the Bible. They capture some elements of truth. Yeah, they missed a bigger point. And so far, we looked at phrases like, God helps those who help themselves. Hate the sin, love the sinner. God won't give you more than you can handle. And today, we're going to look at this statement. The safest place is in the center of God's will. Another version of this is something like, the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. So in preparation for today's message, I researched the safest place in the world. Do you know where the safest place in the world is? What country that is? It's the country of Iceland, okay? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been to Iceland before. We, okay, we have four or five. That's great. Put your hands down. There's a, there's a metrics called Global Peace Index, GPI, which measures the trends of peacefulness based on crime, terrorism, violence, and homicide rates. And for the 14th consecutive year, Iceland is the safest place in the world. It is so safe. This is the part where you say, Jay, how safe is it? It is so safe that no one has bodyguards in Iceland, not even the president of the country. So like if you're a pro athlete, a basketball player, or a celebrity, you don't, no one's going to mess with your family. By the way, go Mavericks tonight, game seven, going to take it all the way. How safe is it? It is, it is so safe that no one drives over the speed limit. Maximum speed limit is 55 miles an hour. If you go above, you're in trouble. You want to know how safe it is? How safe is it? It's so safe that the parents often leave their babies in the stroller and, and they run their errands. They'll even go watch movies. Sometimes it's like 30 degrees, right? It's cold. So baptism friends and families, try to do this next time you go shopping at Target, right? <laughs> now, obviously, we, we love safe environments. We want safe schools, safe workplaces, safe work culture. And by definition, we consider places safe when there is a lack of perceived danger or risk. So I do want to begin by saying that um, there is a significant truth to today's statement that the center of God's will, that we do find safety. Yes, we can feel secure in the Lord. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. I love the New Living Translation version where, where it says that God is our safe place. God is our safe place, meaning that God is our ultimate protector. God is our fortress. Psalm 18, chapter, cha- Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock, in whom I find protection. God is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. So we can be certain. We can be certain that in the center of God's will, that we find certainty of God. Because God is with us, God can be trusted, God is good, that even the, the, the mountains tremble, the oceans roar, as psalmist would say, that God is safe. There's, that's a truth. However, however, where we get in trouble with this statement is when we 
distort it by spitting the spiritual truth a bit. And I think this happens in the context of Western Christianity or within American evangelicalism. And we say things like or believe that when we follow Jesus, if, if, if we read the Bible faithfully, if we attend church consistently, that, that God's going to bless us with health and wealth and prosperity. It implies a life in which risk is minimal and there's a little chance of pain and suffering or injury. So what ends up happening is that we begin to, we begin to tone down the message of Jesus And we see Jesus as a domesticated Savior who exists to personally serve us, our convenience, our comfort. And one of the earliest uses of this expression um, came from Corey Ten Boom. Some of you have read the book, The Hiding Place. And she was the one who shared or sheltered Jewish people during the Nazi German occupation in the Netherlands. And this is what Corey Ten Boom wrote in her diary. There are no ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. And let us pray that we may always know it. So for Corey, this expression of finding safety in the center of God's will, it came from, it was fleshed out in the context of Nazi Holocaust, right? People were dying, And she was able to, she lived to tell the story, but her own sister Betsy died from it. So her statement was a declaration to walk in the character of Jesus, regardless of the outcome or degree of suffering. So when you think about the character of the Lord and the patterns of Scripture, it becomes very clear that God's will is not always safe, because if the safest place is in the center of God's will, why is the Greek word for witness, same word for martyr. Witness means martyr. And more people have died for their faith in Jesus in this century than all the other centuries combined. So uh, what I want to do today, this morning, is I want to take a look at a passage. Uh, it's considered as, as an epic pas- passage in the Old Testament era. It comes from Exodus chapter 13. It's the story of what happens in between Israelites leaving Egypt and before crossing the Red Sea. So, so what they were doing is they were, they, were, they were following the will of God. They were being led by the providence of God. At the same time, they were in grave danger. And this, this is what we're going to capture in today's story. Let me give you a quick background. Over 2 million children and adults were in slavery under Egypt for the people of Israel for 400 years. And they were crying out to God saying, okay, Lord, we need some help here. And what did God do? He raises up a leader by the name of Moses. And Moses' job was to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And if you know the story, um, God sends 10 different plagues, but, but Pharaoh is not relent. He does not relent. So the Israelites had to escape out of Egypt. So there's a caravan of people leaving Egypt and there's a pursuit by the Pharaoh's army. And this is the story of what happened in between Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, starting in verse 17. It goes like this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, 
lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And here's what I want you to see in verse 17. When, God's, when God leads people out of Egypt, I want you to know that God is not leading them out of the most efficient way or closer route. Um, there's actually a map in front of you that I want you to see. The, the shortest distance was that blue line called the Way of the Philistines. Short, direct from point A to point B. But what does God do? Obviously, God takes them through the zigzag, uh, through the wilderness, to get to the promised land. Now, why would God do this? In a, by, by what design? Why is God doing this to God's people? And not only that, I hope you caught this in verse 18, that God purposefully leads them through the place of wilderness. And when we hear the word wilderness, that is a code language in the Bible. That's a warning sign saying preparation, testing, suffering. Think about Jesus in wilderness being tempted by the enemy. And the modern illustration I would like to use to describe wilderness is that of being suspended in air while you are doing a trapeze act, right? If you've been to a circus, you've seen these acrobats between two parallel bars. And, and, and what you're seeing is a gentleman by the name of Jordan Tribble. He's a professional high-flying stunt trapeze artist. And, and here's what he says. He says, the moment you let go the first bar is the moment you surrender your safety and you're leaving behind what is familiar to hold on to what is unfamiliar. And he says, what's scary about this act is not so much that he's having to calculate in midair the precision and timing of trying to grab onto that next place to go, but he says, what's scary is that for a moment, you're in this in-between place, all by yourself, suspended, with no safety. You're at risk. You're all alone, fully exposed to risk and danger. And for the Israelites, they were in-between places, between the Red Sea and Egypt. And by definition, wilderness is not a safe place. It's a place where you feel abandoned and forgotten, and some of us have been there. We know what it feels like to be in between two places, in between paychecks, in between jobs, in between two doctors' opinions, or between shattered dreams. And I want to submit to you that the center of God's will is not a safe place, but the most dangerous place in the world because you're learning to let go of who you are and fully thrust and launch yourself into trusting God to hold on to God for dear life. And when we step into obedience to follow after God, God's going to lead us to places that we never imagined that God would take us in our lifetime. Because, because at times, God's plan invokes both faith and fear. And this is why God allowed the Israelites to be stuck in between two places, between the Red Sea and between the Pharaoh's army. If I could speak to the parents for a moment, to all the parents here. As a parent myself, it's really hard, right, when we see our children struggle, regardless of what life stage they may be in. 
it's hard to see when they feel left out or they're not part of a, a certain group of friends. They don't get invited. They don't get asked out. They don't get that second interview. They get rejected. And it's hard as parents because we want to come scoop and, and, and rescue them because we don't like to see our kids in between two places. Or you may have experienced the opposite uh, side of your child, not just the heartbroken side, but they're having a little too much fun. Like yesterday, I was on SMU campus walking around, I think at 8 a.m. in the morning. I was praying and pray, preparing for today's message. And you know what was happening yesterday on SMU campus? Graduation. Right? So you have all these students with caps and gowns and going to a place where the, a staging area where they're meeting to, to graduate and to celebrate this incredible time. And what do I see? I see a group of graduating seniors, like six of them, with their caps and gown. And you know that they've been drinking certain kinds of beverage that they should not be drinking at 8 a.m. in the morning. And I see their bottles, they're, they're just dropping by the, the, by the trash can on the way. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, if your parents or grandparents saw this, they would just, they'll be so mad at you, right? So, so wherever spectrum of your child may be in, as parents, we will come and rescue them. But uh, the research tells us, by the way, there's a book called Resilient by Valerie Bell. And what she says is that, for the sake of the formation of our kids, you need to allow passages like Psalm 23 shape the spiritual formation of our children for the kids to experience God on their own. You know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It does not say my daddy is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It does not say, I will fear no evil for my mom is with me. No, the Lord is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. And we want our children to experience the presence of God as they go through periods of wilderness. Yes, it's a good thing when parents come to support them. We want our parents to support our, our children. Yes, at the same time, resilient faith is developed as they take ownership of their own faith. And watch what God does for the people of Israel in verse 19 to develop this resilient faith. Moses does something really odd and strange. Listen to this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. So picture this scene. Everybody is leaving out of Egypt. There's a long caravan. These are refugees. They're trying to escape from the army. And what does Moses do? He goes to the opposite side, to city center, to a local cemetery, and he's digging. And he digs up the bones of Joseph, the mummified body of Joseph that had been buried for 400 years. And he puts the bones of Joseph in a coffin, and he takes it back to the front of the caravan because he wants his people to see the bones. This is a really strange scene here. By the way, this is not a throwaway verse because Hebrews chapter 11 talks about the bones of Joseph. Joshua talks about it. Genesis chapter 50 talks about the bones of Joseph. Let me take you there, verse 24 in Genesis. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Here's what's happening. You see, the bones became a visible reminder and extension of the promises of God 400 years later. Moses is saying to his people, look, look at these bones. These bones are speaking out. That God's words are true. I don't know where the Lord is going to take us. I don't know why we're going through these zigzag lines. But God is a promise keeper. God is faithful. And God can be trusted. And, and Joseph knew that his home was not in Egypt. But in a new land promised by God. He knew that one day God, God's people would leave behind while was certain and safe to venture out to a new home because you see all of us long for a new home. All of us are longing for a home because home is a place where identity and security and protection is shaped. Home, a future begins at home. But often we seek to find security and satisfaction in temporary things of this world. And the world has a way of disappointing us, does it not? Pseudo joys and false hopes will always overpromise and underdeliver. And that's why we need a visible sign of this brand new reality that God is taking us to a new home. So watch what God does to, to show this visible sign of God's presence and his safety. Verses 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And this is an incredible image of God leading his people. I want us to take a moment here. You need to use your imagination here of what this pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire might have looked like. For the longest time growing up, I always thought this pillar of, of cloud was like a rain cloud that's kind of leading God's people forward. Think about the star over Bethlehem when Jesus was, was born and three wise men, they were looking for that star to, uh, to find Jesus. That's what I thought of this cloud. But I wonder... If this cloud was more like this, you'll see, more like a fog, where you have your hands in front of you, and you can't even see your hands. In the same way, I wonder the fire, the pillar of fire was like, 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 an empire, like the Empire State Building, so big and tall that you can't see around it, you can't go beyond it. And the only thing they can do is simply follow the cloud and follow the fire. Now, why would God lead his people in this fashion? Because I can see how God might lead us in this roundabout, long ways so that God can teach us lessons, that God can shape us, that God can teach us about perseverance. I could see that. But why give limited visibility? Why make things unclear for God's people? You know, perhaps there's some of us, us here this morning feeling like our path is a little unclear, our future feels a little foggy. You may even say, Jay, I don't even know what my will is, let alone the center of God's will. And if that's where you are, I think that's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. 
Because the purpose of God's people going on their journey was not necessarily to get to the next destination or or on the other side of the Red Sea, although that was important. But the point of the journey was to follow the cloud and to trust in the fire. The cloud and the fire became a visible reminder of God himself saying, friends, my people, I'm here with you. I am traveling alongside you. I'm your guardian. I'm your protector. I'm your safe place. So you see, as followers of Jesus, the reason why we follow Jesus is not so that we can know his grand plan for our lives, although that would be really nice, or to get something out from Jesus. No, no, we follow Jesus so we can know him, intimately know Jesus for who he is. God's promise is great, but God's presence is greater. So if you feel like that, you are stuck in between two seasons of life. Things seem a little foggy. I just want to encourage all of us here by saying, God is with us. The Spirit of God is upon us. Jesus is guiding us. And that's why the center of God's will is still the safest place for you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as followers of Jesus, we no longer need dead bones to guide us. But the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. And we are part of a resurrection community. And we thank you for your church, the bride of Christ, where the church becomes a sign and symbol to point us to that God is alive and well, and God is leading us. Thank you for being our God, and thank you for your presence here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.